We're glad you're here this morning. Uh, just honored to be with you, to be honest, and thankful. I had the best seat in the house um, this morning as I stood between um, and amongst teenagers, heard them singing, arms out, engaged. They have phones, notepads, and note cards out to take notes and um, inspire and direct and lead us, and it is encouraging, and I love it, and so thankful for uh, these young men and women who sat up there with me on the front row. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I was not on the front row, and so I'm encouraged by that. I do want to tell you, last week we did um, hold a, a little thing here called Rethink Small, uh, a conference that engaged about 40 different churches, 100 leaders from around the country. And then in Tampa this week, everywhere I went, strangers stopped me because I was among a bunch of Wesleyans or part of our denomination. They stopped me and knew who I was, and I didn't like it. But it's your fault. Actually, what they really knew is who you are. I met the, the CFO, the chief financial officer of the denomination, USA, Canada, Wesleyan Church, in the airport, and he said, well, where are you from? I said, Goldsboro. He said, oh, Hydrant Church. So what he really knew is you. And um, I just wanted you to hear and see that there is impact that is starting to happen across USA and Canada because of you. You being you and doing what you do has impacted Goldsboro over the last six years. But not only that, as we have answered Jesus' call to go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, this small church in nowhere, nowhere, is having an impact that extends beyond Goldsboro, beyond North Carolina, even beyond the United States. And I am so excited and thankful and wanted you to know that the work you do matters. Lives are being changed and those are people are finding hope and courage and believing in what's possible in Jesus because of you. There is this exciting little fire, this movement that is happening as a result of that. So thank you for who you are and what you do to make a difference. It really is remarkable. Now, um, as Brendan so gracefully mentioned, we are starting a series of relationships, and we recognize that, well, a large portion of our church is your generation and probably feels this immediate tension with the language of um, relationships. In fact, statistically, a large number of your generation, which I just barely escaped, like, right? I'm on the, like, borderline millennial kind of thing. And um, their large percentage of people 30-ish and younger, like, struggle with relationships enough, they won't call and speak to a human being to order a pizza, They'd rather get online, text it in, or just eat what's in the house instead of call and talk to another person. There are, um, there are a large portion of us who will practice or script out a conversation before we have it in the hopes that we don't make a fool of ourselves. And maybe some of us should start doing that, or at least thinking before we speak, right? But... Um, there, there is this sense that relationships are hard. There's challenges to them. 
And, and really, if you start to talk about relationships in February, you assume it's going to be about romantic relationships and that kind of thing. And originally, when I planned the series, that's what I thought I was going to be talking about and just really felt God moving it in a different direction. We will, on the third week of this series, get into conversations about the, the God's design for marriage. We're not talking biblical marriage. Like, you don't want a biblical marriage. That was a train wreck, right? Multiple wives, concubines, this whole mess going on, people running in a different direction. You don't want a biblical marriage. New Testament, a little different story, right? God's design for marriage, a whole different story. And you've heard me kind of reference over the last couple of weeks in a kind of joking matter that marriage is not about you being happy. Now, I'll tell you, if you do it right, it, happiness and joy will be a byproduct. But that's not the purpose of marriage. And we'll get to that in the third week. And then in the fourth week, my friend Brendan here will speak to something that I I'm really probably shouldn't be this person speaking to. He's going to speak to singleness and dating. If I, if, if, if I was dating right now, that would be a problem, right? That would mean a biblical marriage. And um, so Brendan's going to be sharing his heart and, and God's direction and what we see should be happening in our lives during that season of singleness and dating and going to be really significant. But I want to talk this week and next week about some of the building blocks and the importance of, of developing and maintaining healthy, good relationships. Now, just to kind of take us back a little bit, over the last couple of weeks, we've been, been talking about life like a wheel, and that it, when it, it rolls true, it's rolling in its best possible way. A good Bible word for a wheel that's rolling true would be Tov, Tov, it's, uh, it's the word that means good, not like good and evil good, but more like what's, what's the best, and then Ra would be the not best, what he made us for and what he didn't, and that there are different spokes that help this wheel roll true or roll Tov, and we, we started off, and this thing is going to move, um, talking about our spiritual spoke, the spiritual relationship and dynamic of our lives, and that that spoke needs to be tight. And then we talked about the, the physical, that, that God has a design for how we are to use and to engage and operate as a body, what our body is for and how God designed it and how to care for it. And then last week, we dug into the emotions, the emotional health. And, and how God has designed us to work and operate and relate to our feelings. And that when that's tight, it really helps things roll true. Eventually, we're going to get to uh, conversations about our finances. And that that is an important spoke, how we relate to and use money. Um, but it's one of those things I don't talk about a whole lot because churches have the reputation of only talking about money. Um, but this series is about this spoke here on relationships. And one of the things I wanted us to kind of identify to start with is that it's not just one spoke. It's really more of a collection of spokes. So our life starts out and we have this relationship with mom and then this relationship with dad, relationship with siblings, 
um, with friends and extended family. And then we have these dating relationships and a marriage and our own kids and work relationships and friend relationships. And it's really this whole collection of spokes. And the reason we need to talk about this is that our ability to develop and maintain healthy, good relationships affects and impacts and determines every other area of our lives. Every other area of our lives. When our relationships aren't good, we tend to try to make ourselves feel better by spending too much, eating too much, complaining a lot, and it tends to draw us away from God. In fact, we, they're, they're, you can't really say I love Jesus and hate people. Like I know that's the, like there's the mug and the t-shirt and the, the whole kind of thing. Like I hate people. Life would be easy if it wasn't for people. That whole garbage. Like if you have any of that, just go ahead and throw it away when you get home. Because it's impossible to be a Christian and hate people. In fact, in fact, we read it in the New Testament. If you say, I love Jesus and hate your brother, then you're a liar. Because you can't do both. We have to be able to connect with, God, with people in good, healthy relationships. Otherwise, it will mess up our relationship with God. In fact, he said in the New Testament that if you are praying... Jesus' words, if you're, if you're praying, if you're connected to worship and you realize that there's something between you and a friend, stop worshiping, go and deal with that and come back. Don't, don't everybody leave it once. We'll, get, we'll give you a chance to leave in a minute. But if there's something between you and somebody else, deal with it because you're not going to be able to really engage God until you deal with it. Really a reality that's powerful. Then you think about your work. Nobody really succeeds alone. And you're not going to ever step into the full potential in your business, your, your career, your job, if you don't know how to work well with people. If you don't know how to value people, if all you are is task-oriented, then it's not going to be long until you're trying to do tasks all alone and getting paid minimum wage to do it. You're going to have to learn to work well, to engage with others if you are going to reach your full potential in your work. In fact, at least 53% of your success in any job is determined by your ability to relate and connect and value other people. Our, our marriages, our, our parenting are all connected right here. In fact, those who have good relationships live longer. If you have bad relationships, you kind of hope you don't live sometimes. But, the, wow, okay, still rough crop. Um, <laughs> The reason we're dealing with this is, one, this practical reality. Without good, healthy relationships, every other area of life starts to break down. Without good, healthy relationships, every other area starts to break down. But there's a spiritual reason. We were created... For relationships. If we look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, the story of creation, this poem that more explains who and why than what and when. And in this story, this poem, we see 
in Genesis 1.27 that we are created in the image of God. Well, at its core, the image of God is relationship. He is the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. He, at His essence, is a relationship. If we are created in His image, we are created in and for relationship. In fact, when we look at this poem, this story, these first two chapters of Genesis, every time God creates something, He stops and says, Ooh, this is good. This is, this is tov. This is good. This is the way it should be. Until we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And he looks at man and he says this. It's not good. It's raw for man to be alone. And what he's talking about is not man and woman, but, but that in our relation, we are not meant to operate and live alone. We are meant to be connected to other human beings. We are meant and we can only be ourselves and who we're really created to be in and through relationships. Sometimes we've even sung songs here that talks about Jesus is enough, God is enough, God is all I need. But according to Genesis, for Adam, God was not enough. God was not the only thing he needed. He needed other people. And so we see Eve and Cain and Abel and Seth and other children I don't know what their names were, poor kids. Like, our, our older brothers all got their names recorded. We're the other kids. Like, I'm sorry if you come four or later, you just are other kids. But it, there is this sense that we need this community, this connectedness. It is who we were and how we were designed to operate. Now, there's this, this little reality that um, plays out in our lives, and it happens for every single person, whether you want it to or not. So just to kind of illustrate, imagine that this little circle here is you, and imagine then and think about and begin to identify the five closest relationships to you, and at any given time in your life, you are becoming a, a mixture of the five closest people to you. Parents, teenagers, this is why all the way up to 18, parents, you are the biggest influence on your children, even if they act like you're not. Statistically, in their own words, their parents are still the greatest influence on them. The five people you spend the most time with, the five people you're closest, you may say, well, I don't have five people. Well, now you start looking at the other inputs, the people they get to put in. You can see this. Let me give you a great example. The person who only ever watches Fox News, what do they think about things? They have one track man. The old person who only listens to CNN, go the other way. If that's the, one of the five biggest inputs, it's going to change the way you think over time. It doesn't matter what it is. Who are the five people, the five influences that are pouring into you? You are becoming them. Now, here's where it gets a little bit scary. Each of them have five closest people who are pouring into them, and they are becoming that person. And then they each have five people pouring into them. And they have five. And this really remarkable, crazy annoying 
wonderful, terrible things starts to happen. All of these people are exerting influence on you through the five. Whether you like it or not, like a virus, the character, the habits, the values, the beliefs of the five closest people to you are infecting you and shaping you and determining who you will become, good or bad. Sometimes it can be wonderful if your five closest friends are people who, who value their faith and who are, who are pouring into this relationship with God, then it's going to drive you and push you to do the same. If there are people, if the five closest people to you watch how they spend money and are disciplined, you're less likely to do something stupid because you don't want to tell them about it. If the people around you, this is, if someone loses a lot of weight, it's proven at least one of their five closest friends will do the same. We're impacted by one another. Go the other way too. Right? Like if I sit down with somebody and they order a big cheeseburger, I'm less likely to order a salad. If if I'm a, around if, if I'm around here's a good if you're around, if I'm around someone who, who cusses a lot, guess what starts to come out of my mouth? Good or bad. You can take that as you want. If I'm a, if I'm around people who drink a lot, I'm more likely to want to drink. It goes both ways. We are this conglomerate of the influences in our lives, and it extends far wider than we think. This is why it's so important to develop good, healthy relationships with five people and the people who will pour into us and help us to be the best version of who we are. That's what this companionship, that's what these relationships we're made for. Now I get it. There is a temptation to like, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, that's stupid. Like that's going to get you nowhere. But I don't I don't care. Like, okay. I understand. Don't care what everybody thinks. That's just as stupid. Like nobody can take the criticism and advice of everyone in the world. But there should be five people or so who you value and who you know care about you and you care about them and you will hear anything they have to say to you. You care what they think. I shared a story last week about some things that I did when I talked to the doctor and changes and, and some medication and stuff. It, it wasn't really for me. If it was me alone, I'd have just kept fighting. But there are, there, I have Anita and Noah and Sophia and the staff and the church. There are people I care about and I care how they respond to me and whether or not I have positive influence with them. And I needed to do this because of them, not just because of me. I can't just care about me and what I think. But again, you can't care what everybody thinks. So maybe what you want to do is get a little piece of paper, maybe about like this size. Right? Oh, that's too big. Um, this size right here. No, I'm sorry, about an inch by an inch, right? And write down the names of those whose opinion will be able to influence you. 
those whose criticism and compliments you will hear. And if you can't fit their name on there, they don't, they, they're not, you're not going to hear it. Right? Because what tends to happen if you get too many compliments, you get a big head. You get too much criticism, you get insecure. Who are the people that you care about? You matter, whose opinions matter. You need those people. You can't be isolated. You've got, there's always the five. And so the, the temptation is think, well, if I just pull away from everyone, then I'll just be my own person. I'm going to go move out into the woods of the Northwest and live in a cave somewhere, live off the ground and shoot what I'm going to eat and fish what I'm going to eat. And it's just going to be me and my dog out in the woods. I mean, Fine. But you're still going to have all those people who have poured into you for all those years and you are influenced by them. In fact, your decision to go and do that was influenced by the five people closest to you. Good or bad. We can't escape the reality of our nature and who we were created to be and how we were created to live. That's why it's so important that we understand the importance of developing, maintaining, and fighting for Good, healthy relationships. The best life, the life we are created to live, is formed through our relationships. First with God, and then with others. There is a little reality. All relationships have problems. Every single relationship has problems. Proverbs 14.4, I love this verse. It really kind of illustrates this reality. It says, without oxen, a stable is clean. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. So I'm like, what does this have to do with relationships? A good, healthy ox produces about 65 pounds of poo a day. 12 tons of poo a year, a healthy ox. But it is worth dealing with 12 tons of poo a year for the benefits of having an ox that can plow the field more quickly and help you to harvest and do all of the other things that this ox will do on your farm. It is worth it to own an ox Because of the benefits of the ox. Now the thing is to make sure that the ratio of benefit to poo is worth it. The problem gets when you have too much poo and not enough benefit. Then it really feels miserable. Do you get what he's saying? You can have no relationships and you'll have less different problems but your life will not be all it could be. You'll miss out on the harvest, the fruit, the joy that's possible with those relationships. Every healthy relationship has its poo. Every single one of them have 12 tons of crap a year to deal with. That means every relationship requires care. It requires attention, requires feeding, it requires developing consistent attention. 
If you don't deal with the poo every day, it piles up and is not fun. It's manageable on a regular, consistent basis. And it means that every relationship requires a little shoveling. Every one of them. Even our healthy relationship, we fight for these relationships because we know that the poo is, is going to be okay. Like we can deal with that because of the benefit, the joy, the purpose, the understanding, the companionship, the, all of the things that we get from these relationships, the way that they bring the best out of us. We can deal with a little shoveling. It gets hard, though. Let me take a step back. Every relationship will have its seasons where it gets a little unhealthy. We'll just call this the sick ox, right? And if you think about a healthy ox producing 65 pounds of poo a day, Imagine what a sick ox would do. But you don't shoot the sick ox. That's not what you need to do. It just needs a little extra care and a little extra time and a little extra effort so that it can get well again and you can then begin to produce that harvest again. A sick ox just means that maybe, maybe it was just a little strained or there was some damage in the relationship or a wound or a, a misunderstanding. Just means that there's just a little extra to deal with right now. It requires a little extra time and effort and energy. Every relationship will have these times. See, sometimes we get married and we, we have that first year and it's all joy and love and sex and this wonderful thing. And then we get to like year two and it gets hard. And now like I'm tired of you leaving that mess on the floor. And why don't you do the dishes and who's vacuuming this week? And why is the trash like stacked up? Get it out. Like we deal with this stuff that just like being together, your, your snoring is making me crazy. Why, why do you leave everything on the, on the sink counter? Put it away. Like, why, who's going to make the bed? And the dumbest little things start to get in the way. And it gets a little sick. We start to fight and have to figure this stuff out. Years two and three and four can be hard. And it's especially hard if, if your, your first year of love and joy and sex, like it did what it's supposed to do, and now you got little ones. Because... Because people who are about this tall create problems. <laughs> Especially when they get mobile. You have your first kid and you're like, I want them to walk. And then your second one, you're like kicking their feet out from under them. Don't walk yet. Don't walk yet. Like we don't want, we know where you are when you're just sitting. And they just, it adds strain. And then military, you guys get this, you move. And it's just hard. It creates strain. Buying a house, fixing a house, any kind of little project, new jobs, it creates strain. And the relationship gets hard. It gets wonky. It gets new challenges. And we're not seeing each other as much. And the things that I used to think were adorable or annoying. And 
And so many people shoot the ox in this stage. They walk away, never realizing what they had. Never realizing that, yeah, you won't be shoveling poo, but you just created a lot more work and pain for yourself than you had to. Every relationship has those seasons. One of the things I do is coach pastors, and I have to tell them after the first year that what they're going through is normal. Because they have a honeymoon time. People love them. They're great preachers. Everything's great. And they don't tend to make as many changes in that first year. And then they get to the second year, and they like, man, this annoys me. i got to change this. we got to change that. We're going to fix this, and the honeymoon's over. Right? Like the church is mad, and they got people yelling, and people upset, and things aren't going right, and they think, oh, I'm doing it wrong. I'm like, no, no, you're not. That's just the stage. You're experimenting. You're figuring it out. You guys are learning each other. You don't really get to an effective season until you get to about four years. Now, the problem for pastors is that the tenure of lead pastors is less than four years. Same thing happens in relationships. Friendships, like it's all fun and gay. Like man, we're, we get together and we go shopping or we go drink coffee or we get together and our toddlers destroy the house while we laugh and talk. And, and then it just is like wonderful. But then after a year or so, you're like, oh, I got to call them. What was fun turns to obligation. Like, is it really worth it? Do we keep fighting for this? Is it good? And then you miss out on what could be because you give up on it too early. Happens in friendships, dating, all kinds of things. I think I've used this before for lots of different things in life, and it's really valuable, and I think it applies to relationships. That new relationships, we'll just call them like A. It's where it starts. So wonderful and exciting. You imagine all it could be, and oh, these are new friends, and it's great, and it's, it's wonderful. And then as the relationship progresses, every relationship does, you get to be. You can interpret be to mean whatever you want, but it's just a hard time. Things get hard. Parenting gets hard. Marriage gets hard. Dating gets hard. Friendship gets hard. Every relationship just gets difficult. People annoy each other the more you get to know them. You find things you like and don't like, and you, you find things you respect and don't, and you, it just is one of those weird things. Like, it just gets hard. And the, and the question is, will we work through this and fight for this relationship to get to the payoff? See, years two through about four or five were hard in our marriage. I was a jerk. I'd come home and I would like, why isn't this done and this done and this done? She's like, your kids are still alive. Be thankful. If there's food on the table, it doesn't matter whether it's burnt or not, it's good. And it was. And, and, I, and I would just come home like a machine gun with questions of what I thought it should have been done or why wasn't this done or why isn't that? And I was, uh, oh, bad. And then I would walk in the door other days and get hit, right? And she was home alone all day. And if you know my wife, she likes to get to know you. And usually she gets to know you with 14,000 questions, right? That was every day. 
as soon as I walked in the door. And she still asked me lots of questions, just not when I walk in the door. Because she would do that, and I would lose it, and then we wouldn't talk the rest of the night. And then there were times I was just like, I told you everything I know, please stop. That wasn't good. You learn. You learn. Add 10 more years, and the last five have been the most remarkable relationship better than I ever could have imagined. And I'm so glad we didn't give up. Shoot the ox. We didn't quit. But that's what most people do, right? They don't, they don't ever experience this. Our marriages, our friendships, our parents, we never get here. Because we quit. We just quit. This isn't good. This isn't making me happy anymore. This isn't fun anymore. I'm going to quit. We live our lives doing this. Right? This is great. This is hard. I quit. This is great. This is hard. I quit. And we do this. We do it with church. We do it with jobs. We do it with friendships. We do it with dating relationships. Then if you do it with a marriage once, you're more likely to do it twice and three times. We just do this. We never experience the payoff of having pushed through the pain, and we just quit. Now, I had a really great question after the first service that I want to kind of deal with. They say, it was, it was somebody who was, was in, a, in dating season of life, right? And they're, they're saying, what if we quit, and it, was, it needed to end? I said, well, then you actually got to the payoff because you learned something. Some, not every relationship, not every friendship, not every dating is meant to last the rest of your life. Many of your friendships are for a season. Many of, your, many of the dating relationships are for a season. And we'll get to the one, some of the ones that need to end in a minute. But we need to realize that the payoff isn't always just happy. Sometimes we learn something, and some relationships need to end, and that's okay, as long as we learn something from it. We figured out how to do this better next time. We actually did push through pain to a learning place. So realize, though, that if you're married and it got hard, well, that's what it does. Like, if you have friends, you have friend problems. If you're dating, you have dating problems. If you're married, you have marriage problems. That's the kind of problems you have. That's normal. Like, I, I heard two things growing up. Life's not going to be easy. And I'm like, now I kind of think, well, compared to what? Right? Like, I mean, I guess it's just the same for everybody. You can call it easy or hard or whatever. It's just life. The other thing I heard, usually when I thought I was being treated unfairly, was my dad saying, well, whoever told you life was going to be fair. Like, well, certainly not you, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> Life's just life. It involves difficulty and pain and joy. There's seasons. And sometimes you just need to fight through to get to the payoff. Revelation tells us one of the ways to do that. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Jesus is talking to one of the churches. And he says, I've got this one problem with you. You've lost your love for me and one another. How far you've fallen, he says. Here's what you need to do. Go back and do what you did at the beginning. If your marriage hits one of these difficult places and you got toddlers that are pulling in different directions and you got life and job changes and health problems, this life is just crazy. Remember what brought you together. 
the things you used to do together that built that love and connection and joy and go back to that. If friendship gets hard, remember what the friendship was built on and go back to some of that. Now, if life changes and your friendship was built on something that it shouldn't have been built on, then maybe, maybe what you need to do is either rebuild it or let it go. And that brings us to the third kind of ox that you might find in Saul, the dead ox. He just died in the night. And you need to bury it before the disease infects every other ox. Some relationships need to end before they poison every other relationship in your life. And that's okay. It's okay. Some relationships you just need to let drift. Some of them you need to cut off because they're toxic. They're toxic. They're like poison. A toxic relationship is the chronically negative ox. That friend who only sees all that's wrong with life. And it triggers this anger and disappointment, frustration, and they, they drag you into that negativity. Because you, you enter into life and you're, you're walking around, you see all that is good and bad, and you're able to balance and have reasons for joy, but then you, you get with this person and they start pointing out what's wrong, and you're like, I didn't even see that. I can't believe how bad that is. Can you believe that? And you start seeing this, and you start seeing this, and you start seeing this, until your whole worldview becomes negative. You become negative and you become toxic to yourself and others. Unable to receive and enter into the joy that God created you to live with that will build greater and better connections to other people and open up opportunities for you. Choosing joy means that there are times when the toxic, chronically negative person needs to be removed from your life. Or at least moves from this, this position to somewhere out here. The second kind of toxic relationship. The second dead ox is the controlling ox. Proverbs 21.19 It's better to live in a tent in the desert than with a nagging wife. Or husband. Men, don't pretend. You can be just as nagging. The person who tells you how you ought to live, who attempts to fix your life for you, to tell you how to do everything in your life, is not someone you need close in your life. It's toxic. It will lead you into people, into being the kind of person you don't want to be. It will lock you out of opportunities and potential and the relationships you need. You have to be willing to step away from that person because it's toxic. And the third is the tempter ox. We've all been around this person. Right? That friend, when you go out, you end up drinking way more than you intended to when you're with them. That one that you go out with and spend way more than you planned on spending. 
that one that sits down from you at the table and orders everything that you shouldn't eat. The one that brings the worst out of you. That you love this friend, but you regret what you do every time you're with them. As hard as it may be, that's a relationship that should never be in that tight circle. It's destroying you. It's robbing you of you. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 12, we meet, there's a guy named Joseph, and he is the lead servant in the man named Potiphar's house. And so he works closely with Potiphar and his family. Potiphar's wife decides she thinks Joseph's nice looking. She decides that she wants to spend some alone time with Joseph, woos him to her bed, And is so persistent, she grabs a hold of him to drag him to bed. And he runs. He runs so hard, so fast, he like runs out of his jacket to get away. Jesus had a friend, one of his three closest friends, who tempted him. Who who began to tell him, no, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross. Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You run from the tempter. You don't walk. You don't play around with it. You don't go around, go out with this person, well, just once a month. We don't limit it. You run from the tempter. They are bringing the worst and bringing destruction on your life. And it's okay to walk away. It's okay to walk away. That doesn't mean you got to tell them they're a bad person. Like, you just let it drift. You just stop. Right? You don't have to answer the call. You don't have to respond to the text. You just let it drift. I'm busy. Got to wash my hair. I mean, you used it as a teenager with that guy, right? It'll work. They'll get the picture real quick, what you're saying. There's this reality, too. There's some. Some relationships get hard to end because we get too involved emotionally, physically, or otherwise. Think about it. We've all known that couple, like they shouldn't have made it, but like two or three months, right? It should have been this little blip in their story, fun, realized it wasn't a good match and moved on. But they got physical in that first two or three months. They started having sex and Somehow that relationship that should have lasted two or three months lasted two or three years. And you're like, why did they stay together? Well, there is this reality that we see taught in Scripture that sex fuses two people together into one flesh. It gets hard to rip that apart. See, God is smart. He doesn't tell you and direct you in things to do because he's trying to rob you of something. He's trying to protect you. So that you could have the best possible life. And that when we jump into things that we're not ready for. When we allow ourselves to get too emotionally dependent on another person. It gets hard to pull away from that person. It gets hard to break those ties. 
That's why it's important that we maintain good, healthy relationships. And especially if it comes to intimacy and dating, which you'll hear more about at the end of this series. But like, there's, there's this little, you need to allow people you trust, you know, this list of people to speak into that relationship. And if they say, hey, I'm seeing things in you that aren't good, listen. Teenagers, if your parents tell you, I don't know if that guy or that girl is good for you, listen. They're right. You're wrong. And I was the teenager who was wrong a lot. Don't do what I did. I married the one first that my parents said, hey, I don't know that she's good for you. And ended up going through a divorce three or four years later. Don't ignore the people who care about you. Let them speak into it so that you can understand what needs to really happen in good, healthy relationships. To know when the ox is dead. Before it poisons so many other things. If we're going to develop and maintain healthy, good relationships, then we've got to learn how to get in the ring and fight for them. 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul teaches us how to do that. He says, I'm going to give you a more excellent way, a better way. And he calls it love. He tells us this more excellent way is love, not romantic love. Like a lot of times this passage gets read in weddings, but it actually has nothing to do with marriage or relationships. It has something to do with the way the community operates together in relationship. And he starts out by saying, I could speak all the languages of of men, of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. We've had that friend, right? That one who just doesn't love, yeah, they like to talk about it. Or I could have the gift of prophecy. I could understand all of God's secret plans and possess all knowledge. I could have the faith that moves mountains, but if I don't love others, I'd be nothing. Get it? Nothing works right without good relationships. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I'd have gained nothing. He goes on to explain, love is patient. Patient. Understanding. Gracious. Gives the benefit of the doubt. Patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Now, I'm not talking, guys, about the way you and your buddy make fun of each other as a way of showing love. Like, I'm not talking about that. Are you rude to your friends? Are you rude to your spouse, your parents, your kids? It's not love. Love doesn't demand its own way. Instead, it looks for ways to lift up others, to give others what they need or want or desire. It's humble and cooperative and caring. Love, it's not irritable. It's not easily irritated. I don't even need to add anything to that one. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Can I tell you I am the luckiest man in the world? My wife cannot tell you right now what we argued about last. Or ever. She has no idea. She can't remember those things. It's like wonderful. But it's love. It's a choice not to remember those things. Love rejoices in truth, not in injustice. Truth. Real love, relationships that uh, believe in truth, recognize that truth sets us free. So your close relationships are going to do something really annoying, especially a marriage relationship. They are going to reveal to you your flaws, where you need to grow. Because listen, if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no room in your life for saying, this is just the way I am. That is the most selfish statement that any of us can make. And we probably all made it. I know I've said it. This is just the way I am. No. No, no, no. We don't get to say that. We are becoming. We are a new creation. We are growing in Christ to be everything we were created to be. We were designed and called to love God and love others. And if we're not doing that well, we need to get better at it. If I'm irritable, I need to stop being irritable. If I keep a record of wrongs and throw it back up every time I fight, I need to stop that mess. If I don't know how to be kind or patient, grow up. It's not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about demanding and getting my way, watching what I want, doing what I want, having it done my way. That's not love, and it's not okay as a follower of God to say, well, that's just the way I am. You'll have to get used to it, or she's used to it, or he's used to it. No, they're not. It's creating division, and it's time to get better, to do better, to love well. Love never gives up, never loses faith, and always hopes. Love endures all things. Love endures all things. Where do you struggle to love in your relationships? Your friendships? Parents? Kids? Neighbors? Co-workers? What might God be asking you to do? Do you have the courage to do it? Who do you need to ask for help? Hey, just the the greatest little piece of advice. If you want to grow in any of these areas, if you want to get better in any of these areas, just hang out with somebody who's good at it, right? Like if you want a good marriage, go hang out with a couple who has a good marriage. And maybe ask them a question once in a while. Don't ask them to teach you anything. Just ask to hang out around them. Your marriage will get better. If you want to get better in your finances, hang out with someone who is disciplined financially you'll get better because you don't want to tell them about anything that's not good, right? If you want to get better in the way you take care of your body, then hang out with somebody who's good at that. They will influence you to be who you're trying to be. Put the right people around you and your life will change. Because, frankly, God said, I'm not enough. It's not good to be alone. You need to put the right people around you to help you grow. So what's he asking you to do? 
Who can help? So I want to challenge you. I know it's Super Bowl Sunday and everybody's got plans and shoot, the, like, the pregame stuff probably started like five days ago. You can like, turn on the TV, it's on everywhere, I get it. Eat lunch and turn everything off, maybe some music, but turn everything off for like 30 minutes. Get out your version or your Bible and a piece of paper and write these down. Love is patient, love is kind, not jealous, boastful, proud. And just say, God, I'm going to read these four or five times. And would you raise one of them up for me to focus on in the next six months? Just one. To help me to build and fight for good, healthy relationships in my life. Just 30 minutes. For some of you, it only take five. You'll be like, boop, I know, first time through, that's it. I'm arrogant. I'm irritable. <laughs> I'm impatient. Like we know. Like most of us, we probably already knew already. Like, but what, then, then maybe think about two or three things you can do to actually improve in that area. And be intentional. And then tell somebody. Just one person. And say, hey, just once in a while, will you ask me how I'm doing with that? I know it's tough. But man, just imagine who you'd be. Next week, we're going to dig into the one thing that, de- that is the biggest determiner of, of health in every relationship. One thing. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we don't realize just how important relationships are. We don't see how they affect us and influence us, and so we neglect them or we run away from them. We fail to fight for the right ones. We accept unhealthy things for way too long. Help us to see, God, what you're asking us to do. To see that not every relationship needs to continue forever. To see what you're asking us to do. Asking us to learn. Asking us to become. Guide us, we pray. Help us. Give us courage and strength. Would you speak to us even as we leave this place and reveal that area that we could learn a more excellent way? We ask this according to your love and devotion to us, your faithfulness. Amen. Amen. It was a joy to worship with you this morning, and we hope um, that this is not a tempting thing, but there are homemade cookies for you on your way out. Enjoy one of those. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy the game or not, the commercials maybe. We'll see you next week.